Hello and welcome. I'm David Beer, contributing editor for Daily Coast Elections, here with my co-host, Daily Coast political director, David Neer. How are you, Neer? I am really good, and I am really excited to be launching our new podcast, The Down Ballot. And I'm looking forward to telling all of you, our new listeners, about the origin story, both of Daily Coast and Daily Coast Elections, which is really a very special site within a site focused like a laser on down-ballot elections. Daily Coast itself takes a broad look at all of U.S. politics, but we love to discuss all of the other races out there that don't get quite enough attention, whether that's for the Senate or the House or local races at home, like for mayor and district attorney. So we're going to take a little walk down memory lane with Daily Coast founder Marcos Mulitzas, who will talk with us about how Daily Coast came to be, and we'll also discuss how Daily Coast elections came to be a part of this larger progressive activist mothership. Joining us to discuss is Daily Coast founder Marcos Melitzas. Thanks for joining us, Marcos. Hey, pleasure to be here. Congrats on a new podcast. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're very excited. So why not just to kick us off, do you want to just take us through how Daily Coast first came to be, how it sort of developed from, from just an idea to, to where we are today? I don't even know if there was an idea, to be honest. I mean, this was very early on in the, in the you know, creation of the sort of the blogosphere, right? These just individuals pontificating on politics on their crappy little blog spot sites. And it was, it was very, I mean, these early days were like, they were early. So I was just frustrated at the political climate at the time. This was a run up to the Iraq war. There was, there was this notion that you were unpatriotic if you criticize the George Bush's saber rattling on Iraq. So I was just frustrated and I needed a place to lash out because I think my friends were getting really sick and tired of me, like <laughs> either yelling at them about what was going on or yelling at the TV about what was going on. I mean, there was no liberals anywhere. I mean, our liberals were Alan Combs on Hannity and Combs on Fox News. That was our liberal. We had so-called liberals on like Joe Klein on Time Magazine saying that every reasonable person knows that Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. And I thought I was just living in this alternate world. And so the Coast was just my place to vent. And I always like to say that it turns out that there was a market need for liberals, strong, unapologetic liberals to analyze and talk about the issues of the day. So I started off on just this, you know, blog spot site, which, which back in the day was very rudimentary blogging. And I wanted something a little fancier. So I eventually upgraded to this new platform and it was called Scoop. Part of the out of the package features of Scoop was community user generated, what they call diaries. And I remember going live and going, oh, oh, crap, I forgot to take that off. Like people think that was this brilliant genius who like knew to like bring people in and engage them. Uh, no, it was actually a total accident. Like I love the, the comments, but I, I never really thought beyond interacting outside of the comments of a post. And suddenly within 30 minutes, there was like 15 diaries. And of course, the first ones were like, what's this? 
what is this thing? <laughs> How does this thing work? But people caught on really fast and it just took off. And suddenly I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking this off. <laughs> this thing's sticking around. And that became the differentiator between the sort of vast world of progressive blogging and Daily Coast. And it's what really set this site apart. And it's what allowed him to survive when all these other small bloggers sort of fade, most of them faded away, disappeared, or got absorbed into other larger media operations. But beyond that, Daily Coast, you know, has this great activism section. And, and really, my big talent beyond just starting Daily Coast, because I needed a place to rent, was just recognizing that there are some people who are really freaking smart, like, you know, you know, a guy named Nara and a guy named Beard, and giving them the ability to build cool stuff as well. And so it wasn't like I'm some kind of, you know, master genius that, that masterminded the rise of Daily Coast. It was just a lot of it was just stumbling into good ideas and good people with good ideas. And that's why we are here today. So let me turn now to my co-host, David Neer, to talk a little bit about a, a parallel website that, that built up in the very early days that would one day become Daily Coast Elections. Nir, why don't you tell us sort of how Swing State Project came to be, and then eventually how you decided to focus it on down-ballot races, which is what we're going to be talking about. So what Marco said is the perfect introduction because it was in those diary features, what we would call today just blog posts, where in 2003, I started writing about the swing states that were going to be on the docket for the 2004 election. And at the time, the reason why I was drawn to the topic was because at Daily Coast, we were in the thick of the first of what would become many primary wars. And I was a, a big Howard Dean supporter, but I, more than Howard Dean, I really, really wanted to beat George Bush. And I thought no matter who the nominee is, we just have to focus, laser focus on, on these swing states. And so I started writing about them with the diaries feature and it got a, a really good reception early on. So I went and started my own blog, called it the Swing State Project. And I covered all of the swing states, especially the polling, and taught myself a lot over the next uh, year or so. And after the election, which of course didn't go our way, I thought, well, you know, probably time to shutter this thing, except I met a fantastic fellow uh, along the way, a guy by the name of Tim Tagaris, who today plays a major role in the progressive digital world. And Tim convinced me and said, you know, there are going to be a lot of these down ballot races, races for the House, races for the Senate, and someone needs to focus on them. So why why not us? David, before, before you go on, did you predict Democrats were going to win in 2002? Because I totally thought we were going to win everything in 2002. So in 2002. So to dial back to 2002, that was when I first discovered Daily Coast. And yes, I, I was a really <laughs> guy named Coast, this mysterious guy who was writing about all these polls from these you know, various competitive Senate races. And I thought, oh, yeah, we're finally going to take this back. Um, and, you know, really stick it to George Bush. And of course, Republicans managed to have one of the only good midterm elections for the party in the White House in 2002. And that, that was disappointing. But despite that failure, I still kept coming back to, to Daily Coast and Marcos. I'll explain why I kept coming back in a moment. But just to loop back to the SSP origin story that, that Beard wanted to know about, in 2004, I thought that John Kerry would win. Obviously, that didn't happen. And so we, we, we uh, like I said, with Tim Tagaris, we kept it going, covering down-ballot elections. 
And that's all that I've ever written about ever since. So from really 2005 on, the name Swing State Project became rather a misnomer. And we only covered uh, really House, Senate, governors at the time and uh, expanded a lot since then. And a key reason why I learned from Marcos. Marcos was one of the first guys in the blogosphere who really lifted up the importance of these races, that no matter who holds the presidency, who holds Congress is also incredibly, incredibly important. We've seen over and over again. That's why I decided to focus on those races and have been doing so for really close to two decades now. And Marcos, to say why I I, I stuck around at Daily Coast, you know, you had another insight, which was key, which was you were going to be extremely reality-based and really only tell the facts, but you also wanted to make a safe space for progressives online because I had been on a lot of other political boards and they were just endless infighting between conservatives and liberals. And I was just tired of the right-wing trolls. And you said, you know what? You can be a conservative in the comments in Daily Coast, but we're not going to put up with your BS. This is a space for liberals to rant and complain and for us to engage in nascent activism. And you really allowed it to be a place where a community could thrive. Yeah, and it's funny that you bring up Tim Tagaris because um, he has an interesting sort of role in the rise of Daily Coast because there was a there was a point in the 2004 presidential cycle where I said some things, some nowadays it'd be nothing. But back then, because the world was different, the political world, the left, you know, the democratic world freaked out. And so I had these nascent advertisers on Daily Coast and they all dropped me. And John Kerry, who was running for president, had to verbally distance himself from me. And so sort of like, things were like caving in. And, and this was really early. I, I didn't know how to take this and how to deal with it. And Tim Tagaris was running the campaign of some hapless, poor candidate in Ohio. And he came in and used that opportunity to put it, you know, advertise on Daily Coast and say like, I got your back, Daily Coast. The candidate didn't go anywhere, right? But it was sort of Tim Tagaris sort of creating that, that, that vote of confidence gave space to other more credible candidates to come back in and re-engage with Daily Coast. And it became just a mere blip in my history as opposed to like something that could have ended the career really early on. So it's funny how you bring Tim Tagaris, like he actually had a pretty important role in both our sites. Yeah, Tim absolutely did. And also like Marcos, Tim is a veteran, a Marine, and you know he understood the importance of uh, sticking by your team. That really made all the difference. And so a few years later, I don't know, tell me, you can tell me the exact year, Swing State Project became Daily Coast Elections and became sort of the broader umbrella of what Daily Coast does. So Marcos, why don't you tell us sort of how that came to be, and then near you can tell us sort of your perspective on it. I bet, I bet David remembers the details a lot better than I do. I'm, I'm notoriously bad memory. But what I do remember, like I just mentioned earlier, that the the traditional blogosphere, sort of the independent blogger, was was an endangered species, and either they they faded away or they were absorbed by by other sites. And so there was early on there was a consolidation in the progressive blogosphere, and David and I like. I mean, we knew each other from almost the very beginning and he was doing some cool work. And David, you, you might remember the motivation. I think I just liked you and I liked your work and that was the end of it. Like <laughs> I, I, I need to dig into things a lot deeper. And it's it wasn't like I was like a spreadsheet and looking at a cost benefit analysis or whatever. I was like, no, it just made sense. Let's 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 join forces. You may remember it differently, though. Uh, you know, my memory actually squares exactly with yours. Okay. <laughs> 
I had kept close ties with Daily Coast. I, I still uh, wrote there in addition to writing at the Swing State Project. And Marcus and I also uh, continued to work together on candidate endorsements, which was something else oh, that right, uh, Daily right. Coast stepped into quite early on. And Marcos was, you know, this was such a pioneering kind of Wild West time. Marcos, like he was saying, was able to just uh, do stuff because it was cool and hire people because it was cool. And, you know, I was an attorney at the time. I would write the Swing State Project on nights and weekends. And Daily Coast at this time kept growing and growing. And it grew from a, a one-person site into a real business with real revenue. And Marcos was able to hire people. And... He told me, you know, I'd like to hire you full time to come come do this at Daily Coast full time. And I was thrilled because you were a uh, fancy schmancy lawyer with probably the big paycheck and all the perks and prestige of. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I was I was a big shot lawyer who also didn't have any control of his life because uh, you never knew when you would get a call from the partner, you know, at 11 o'clock at night on, on, a, on a Saturday night telling you, to, you know, there was an emergency and you had to uh, come into the office to work on some client's brief. It was a terrible life and, and it wasn't particularly enjoyable. And my passion was politics and particularly elections. And so Marcos gave me this opportunity, you know, first by creating Daily Coast and then by hiring me. And so this was in 2011. And I said, see ya to the legal world. And I became a, a full-time writer. And essentially, it was sort of a merger or maybe a buyout of, of SSP in a way. You know, the, the awesome thing was that the whole community that I built up at SSP, this very election nerd focused community also came along to DKE. So it wasn't just me and it wasn't just the other contributors at SSP who became DKE. It was also this whole big community of enthusiasts. Yeah, I think it's important for everybody to realize just how much of an accomplishment it is to build that kind of loyalty with the community that they'll actually follow you to a new place. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I was immensely gratified by that. Yeah, and I, I was one of those people at the time, along with many, many others. So I want to turn a little bit away from, from the history now and think a little bit more about the, the philosophy of, of Daily Coast and Daily Coast elections. And I think one of the places where, where it holds a really unique role, both in sort of the broader democratic politics and in sort of online journalism, is that is it really hits at this crossroads of, of, of advocacy and journalism that was really rare at the time and, and remains relatively rare. It's a little more... Still not exactly like Daily Coast, but you see it a little more commonly in other countries where there are, you know, newspapers or sites that are very partisan, but also do a lot of journalism. But what's so interesting about Daily Coast to me is that it, it you know, breaks news. You know, sometimes it does a lot of reporting. It does a lot of analysis. But it also, like we talked about, it endorses candidates. It, you know, pushes its readership to donate money, money to candidates, to, you know, donate their time. Um, donate money to other causes sometimes. And so you really you really don't see that because there's this big sort of neutral journalism ethics that so pervades a lot of American journalism. Why did why do you think it the website and Daily Coast Elections sort of developed into that niche and how it was able to that helped it succeed by by growing into that? I mean, our nation was founded on the principle of partisan media, right? I mean, the the founding fathers fought out the the very national debate with uh, not just um, their own partisan press, but pseudonymously as well. This is really harkens to very much our, our tradition. Of course, you see that in, in Britain and other places, right? Highly partisanized media. And I think that gives, it's just more, it's more fun, right? Doesn't mean, this is the difference between like Breitbart, which is actually just lies. 
or, or Fox News, right? But a healthy partisan. I, I loved reading the Weekly Standard and the National Review. I didn't need to agree with them, right? But at least they were reality based. Once upon a time, Weekly Standard, of course, got destroyed, right, by the Trump movement because they refused to to engage in in Trumpian fantasy bubble making. But there was never any real conscious decision, right? I was just I was in a right, and I had an opinion. And f you, if you had a problem with it, and there was a real there's a joke. Early joke in those early days of the blogosphere that that went around the lines of, of well, we got to convene a blogger ethics panel because traditional <laughs> journalists were really like, oh no, like oh those bloggers, and they were very threatened by the medium, and it took them took them way too long to realize that blogging really wasn't blogging was just a platform, right? Like, and now all you know, a lot of reporters blog, and Twitter's a micro blogging platform, and so it's just spur of the moment, unedited writing. And so that was exciting to me, right? That was fun. It's let's, let's, let's have a debate. Let's argue. And, and now I don't like David said, I don't want to argue with right-wing trolls, but we're, we're liberals. We can, we have plenty to argue about within our own ranks. Uh, and like you said, those presidential primary season, it's, it's knuckle, you know, it's raw knuckle time because things get heated, but that, that to me made it exciting. And I took that that whole mentality and I actually founded another company called SB Nation, which is now Vox Media, on that same principle because I thought like, where are the places where, where partisanship really gets people like revved up and engaged? And I was like, politics for sure. Sport. Yeah. Like Red Sox versus Yankee fans. Whew, like partisanship, reign supreme. Bears, Packers. Love that. And I was like, religion. Yeah, but religion people kill each other for that stuff. So I think I'll step away from religion <laughs> and I'll stick to politics and sports. And it really, it, it's it's that corner bar atmosphere, right? You're going in there, you, you have a few beers, you're, you're going to argue about your favorite sports team. You're going to argue about Elizabeth Warren versus Bernie Sanders versus Joe Biden. Like it, it, it's, it, it sort of has energy behind it. So to me, it was that was always sort of foundationally important to Daily Coast. And of course, now the idea that you can have an opinion is is normal. It's been normalized. And I think Twitter finally, like finally put an end to any notion that even traditional reporters like Maggie Haberman from the New York Times can have an opinion. It's allowed. It's okay. You can have an opinion. Oftentimes it's wrong, but you can have an opinion. And so now it, 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 it seems almost boring. But at the time it was very, like people were really hot and bothered by it. And the idea that journalism... Any kind of writing had to be impartial, even though foundationally our nation was built on partisan press. Let me add to that one really sort of important choice that I think Daily Coast and the Swing State Project and Daily Coast elections made was to say, you can be a partisan and still be a truth teller and still be honest. Because I think in the traditional media, the view is that if you're a partisan, you're automatically a hack. You're a cheerleader. You're only going to say stuff that benefits your own side. You're going to conceal the truth about negative things about your own side. And that turned out not to be true at all. And Marcos was uh, really a leader in this. He was unafraid to say, you know, Democrats are screwing up here, or the polls look bad, or we might not win this race. And I really took that lesson to heart. And especially once I started focusing on down ballot races, and especially once Daily Coast and SSP and other progressive blogs really started 
endorsing Democratic candidates in serious numbers, it became really important to know what actually is going on. Which races can we win? This is foundational to me. If all we're doing is telling our audience to clap harder, we'll never win. We'll invest in the wrong races. We'll tell people to donate to candidates that don't have a shot or even don't even have a chance to at least make the other, other side sweat. And so being reality-based in our activism was super, super important. And I think to this day, many folks in other fields, especially the traditional media, don't grasp that you can both be a partisan and be a real sharp analyst. Now, that said, I think that over the years, as Marcos was saying, we have changed a lot of minds and have won a lot of people over because you see all of these mainstream journalists and academics citing, for instance, data compiled by Daily Coast elections. And, you know, uh, you'll, they'll often caveat it and say, oh, it's a left-leaning site, but their data is good. Well, hell yeah, it's good. <laughs> uh, we, we need that data in order to be successful. So that, like I said, is, is, is really central to, to our ethos. You know, and I do want to add that it's actually not as easy as it sounds either, because, I mean, we're seeing it right now with how the right wing media just sort of, including Fox News, has been swept away by Trumpism and alternate reality. We had a similar situation in 2004 after John Kerry lost, and he lost in Ohio by 100,000 votes. And there was a proliferation of conspiracy theories on the left saying that the Republicans had stolen the election, that there was this black box with Diebold machine, Diebold, Diebold machines, where um, that Republicans had programmatically hacked the machines and changed the vote. And it was, it was, they were taking over Daily Coast. And I had to make a decision that after carefully examining the evidence and finding out that there was none, that we weren't going to put up with that kind of, that kind of uh, conspiracy theories. And we banned those people and, and Daily Coast lost a significant chunk of its, readership. And I was just reading today about how, how Fox News, you know, they didn't want, they, they were facing pressure from OANN and Newsmax. And so they, they doubled down on a pro-Trump big lie because they didn't want to lose audience, right? Like deciding to stick to the truth if it costs you an audience can be difficult. I mean, it hurt to lose that kind of audience, but it was the right thing to do. I never doubted it. It wasn't a hard decision to make. It was hard to actually carry out. It was hard to suffer through the consequences because people don't just even leave, right? They leave and then they have a crusade and then they try to dox you and they try to attack you and they use it. It, it becomes like, it's bad enough you're dealing with Republicans. Now I got to deal with, you know, people supposedly on my own side. So we saw it with uh, Hillary Clinton supporters in 2008 when Barack Obama had already clinched the nomination and she refused to drop out of the race because she thought the superdelegates wanted to put her over. And same thing. We said, you know, Barack Obama's the, the nominee. We're not going to debate this anymore. And so, you know, a bunch of them stormed off and created trouble. And of course she ended up having to, <laughs> that was bad karma for Hillary Clinton because then she had to deal with that with Bernie Sanders and then the same thing plays out. So being partisan and being truthful is, is possible but there is always this current of people that, that want to push you to the place where you can't criticize, that you have to cheerlead, that you have to root for your team, that, that you have to bend reality. And it's um, fighting against that and pushing against that can sometimes be a lot harder than it should be. I'm proud that we did it at Daily Coast and the broader progressive movement because, you know, the next John Kerry could have latched onto that stuff and like 
Donald Trump did, right? It's, it, now we're finding out that's a lucrative place to be. There's a whole class of grifters that are making a lot of money on the right playing to that big lie. Our side didn't play that game. And so I'm proud of us for not doing it. And so when anybody says, well, it's inevitable that, that the right wing media has to, has to do that, has to cater to the crazy base. No, it's not inevitable. Didn't have to happen. You know, I was there for that time period after the 2004 election, and it sucked. And I was so glad uh, that you stood on, on, on the side of uh, reality and evidence. And I think had you not at that time, Daily Coast probably would have been relegated to the fringes. Uh, because, you know, the movement as yes, there are grifty conspiracy theorists on the left, but by no means do they have a fraction of a fraction of the influence that they do on the right. Like Alex Jones and Steve Bannon. And yeah, exactly. You know, they're mostly confined to sort of the, you know, shallower cesspools of Twitter and, you know, but and, and, and Daily Coast could have gone there, but for that decision. And I, I, I think that was a, a really important one. And, and relatedly, you know, you're talking about how it uh, can often be hard to be uh, both partisan and clear eyed. And, you know, we, uh, we we find ourselves in that situation sometimes at Daily Coast elections because we're both as an organization, Daily Coast, endorsing candidates. But we're also writing about those races every day in our newsletter, the Morning Digest that goes out every morning. And uh, I should throw in a plug. You can sign up for it if you're not already reading it at dailycoast.com slash morning digest. And, you know, it kind of sucks when uh, you've endorsed a candidate and then you get a series of bad polls back, but you have to force yourself to be honest. And, you know, I I often write posts uh, announcing our endorsements and I try to be really candid with our audience and our, our readers that we're asking them to part with their hard earned dollars. And I will say, this is a difficult race. This is a long shot race. And, you know, I've read many, many endorsement announcements for many, many other organizations. And that's not the kind of language that they never do. I think we're the only ones. Right. And you know what? Our community respects us and rewards us for that. We have yeah. lost a lot of races and we haven't lost a lot of races because we're bad at making endorsements. We've lost a lot of races because we deliberately pick a lot of races that are longer shots where you get bigger bang for your buck in an attempt to expand the playing field. And our community has never punished us for that. They understand our mission, that we're not going to play in all of the biggest, most expensive races that we really do, like I said, want to expand the playing field. And and, 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 and it's worked. And we have some incredible successes using that strategy because uh, we see it with John Ossoff. Yep. This is, a, this is a district that Republicans consistently won by over 20 points. You guys... You know, um, at elections, looked at the presidential results, you looked at the demographic trends, and you said, you know what, there's a special election coming up, we can contest this. And people laughed at us. People thought it was freaking hilarious. But we went to our community, we, we, we gave them the notice. This was after uh, Donald Trump was elected. So there's a there's a need for people to do something to fight back. And Daily Coast raised what the first one and a half million dollars that Joan Ossoff ever raised came from Daily Coast. And he lost by a sliver. But we picked up that seat using the infrastructure that Ossoff and the Daily Coast investment made. One that, you know, uh, Lucy McBath won that seat two years later. And of course, John Ossoff parlayed that experience and that exposure and that list that we helped rebuild, which I'm sure is like majority Daily Coast readers, into being a U.S. senator and control of the Senate today. So this is the, the sort of investment that if we follow the conventional wisdom and what everybody else was doing, 
we never would have made. And that race would have probably sat there in obscurity, like a lot of special elections do because they're not competitive. And on paper, should not have been competitive. And there, there are a lot of those races over the years, and not all, not all of those candidates that Daily Ghost has endorsed has turned into John Ossoff. But you gotta like play the smart bets to find the ones that work, and that's what I think Daily Coast is really good at. So I want to turn to to one phrase that started the Daily Coast like pretty early on. I don't remember exactly when, but I remember it back when I when I first started following it. That really stuck with me both in terms of of my philosophy and and how Daily Coast works and how to think about. The Democratic Party, because, you know, there's been a lot of intra-Democratic Party fighting, you know, over the years that Daily Coast has existed. And what Daily Coast has always stuck to is the idea of more and better Democrats. And so more obviously an idea is that you want to elect Democrats, you want majorities, you want the presidency, governorships, but also better Democrats in that the way to move the party to the to the left in a more progressive direction was through primaries, was through getting better Democrats not through third parties, not through independent candidates, not really through like sort of radical election reform. You know, obviously we've done a lot of work with with voting rights and things like that, but not sort of trying to change the system, but more Democrats and better Democrats. So, you know, where did that first come from to the degree you remember? And why, why is that sort of a leading philosophy for Daily Coast? So I think it was the blogger Atrios, Duncan Black, who popularized the phrase more and better Democrats. If Republicans did something lousy, you wanted more Democrats. And if Democrats did something lousy, uh, you wanted better Democrats. And it just made instant sense the second you read it. And uh, I think it became easy to adopt at, at Daily Coast. And also, I think the order of those two phrases is important. Marcos's theory of change w- was very simple and made all the sense in the world to me. And it was you got to get rid of Republicans and elect more Democrats in office if you want to take power and actually affect any change. And then where you could, where it made sense to do so, you would try to get rid of lousy Democrats where you wouldn't be jeopardizing, say, a, a conservative seat like you know Joe Manchin's Senate seat. But Joe Lieberman representing blue state of Connecticut, it made all the sense in the world to, to run a primary against him. And yeah, it just sort of uh, fit this theory of change perfectly. And uh, it's worked for, you know, really decades. I mean, Carson Sinema is a perfect example, right? There hadn't been a Democratic senator in Arizona in bazillion years, 30, 40 years or something. And uh, so it got us one step closer to the majority. And in fact, there is no majority and there's no Democratic majority replacing Stephen Breyer on, on the Supreme Court if she's not, she doesn't have a seat there, but we ain't going to let her stick around any longer than she, you know, than her term is. And we're going to primary her because we had more. Now we can upgrade. And so for sure, the, the early blogosphere was always incredibly pragmatic, just far and wide. And it really contrasted with, with conservatives that kept pushing their party to, to the right. And so there's always been this false equivalency in the media. They can't, they can't fathom. They don't understand how it, they're, like how the left can be different than the right. And maybe now they're starting to get it because the right has just so gone off the rails, you know, they've just fallen off the edge. So maybe now they're like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe the, the left isn't, isn't like that. But for the longest time, it was, there was always this false equivalency where conservatives, you know, they're, they're, they're a tea party. So therefore the liberal, liberal bloggers are like the tea party of the left. And it's like, what, what are you, what are you talking about? Like we're, we don't particularly like celebrate Joe Manchin, but we're glad he's around. That doesn't happen on the right. 
And as frustrating as he is, right, we would we would be in a much different place if Mitch McConnell was Senate Majority Leader today. So pragmatism has always been a part of it. And it in, in some ways, it, it allowed us to sort of push out people who weren't pragmatic, right, people who might have been on the fringe. Again, it's a way to sort of self-regulate what we built as a movement, keeping the cranks out. And a lot of blogs try to rally around that uncompromising radical left and remember fire dog lake was one of those and and they all died I and mean, they just they just petered out because it's pushing a strategy that is patently ineffective and always being outraged and always being mad and always being disappointed it's just exhausting and people get tired of it yeah absolutely and you see that more and more you know as, as twitter has grown and sort of to a degree like substituted a lot of what the the blogosphere used to do in terms of that interaction you see you know that constant outrage makes it makes it hard to to get things done sometimes. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for joining us, Marcos. This was this was enlightening, and we'll be excited to see where Daily Coast goes for the next twenty years. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. This is the down ballot, and we were just talking with Daily Coast founder Marcos Mulitzas about the origin story of both Daily Coast and Daily Coast elections. And so now I want to ask my co-host, David Beard. Beard, how did you get involved with uh, DKE and, and how did you become a contributing editor? Sure. It's, a, it's only fair that, that uh, you have my history after hearing from the two of you. I was I found Daily Coast, I think, in 2003 or 2004. So, so very early on. I was like a senior in high school or something like that. It was just a sort of as I was getting interested in politics, you know, again, similarly, the Bush administration, the Bush Kerry race, I volunteered. Then I, by that point, I was a freshman in college and volunteered with the, the young Dems and we did canvassing and stuff. And so, but I was, you know, very interested in the analysis and the competitiveness. You know, as a sports fan, it was very similar in that way, following races and, cheer, you know, rooting for Democrats, both out of wanting to elect Democrats because I felt like they were would make the world better. And, you know, you get that partisan juices flowing. Part of you just wants to win. That got me involved in politics. That sort of set off my career in campaigns and politics and that stuff. But I always, like, never strayed too far from Daily Coast. It was still someplace that I, I regularly read. Um, I regularly checked in on whenever there was interesting election news or retirement, uh, an interesting candidate announcement. As that developed over the years and I sort of grew my career at one point as I was reading someone it might have it might have been you it might have been another Daily Coast elections um, staffer but they basically put out a call that was like does anyone want to write up this British election that's taking place in a couple of months because I believe someone someone had just done it for Canada or, or another country and the this UK election was coming up and it was basically sort of a free call. And I just sort of like replied and was like, sure, you know, I'll write it up. I'd been following it. I'd certainly sort of expanded my interests into some other elections in other countries. So I just like spent a lot more time than probably I think you or anyone at Daily Coast Elections was expecting because it got really long. And I wrote this very long, you know, write up of the upcoming British election. It was the 2015 election where, um, if you'll remember, David Cameron was facing off against Ed Miliband. There had been a coalition government with the Liberal Democrats. And Cameron ended up winning a big conservative majority, which would last would last him exactly a year until the Brexit referendum ended his career. But at the time, I, I wrote this up, and you all 
were, were fans. You, you liked what I'd done and you um, ended up inviting me to do some more stuff for international elections and then sort of bringing me on as, as what we call a contrib- contributing editor for Daily Coast Elections, which is sort of a, a, a crew of folks who don't actually you know, work full time for Daily Coast Elections, but do a lot of side work and, and help out with the live blogs and, and you know, shoot interesting things, all, all sort of stuff of that nature. And so I've been doing that for now, feels like yesterday, just yesterday, but it's actually been coming up on, on I think, seven years, because um, I think it was 2015 when, when I first started writing stuff. And so, you know, after, you know, a number of, of years and, you know, I wrote a lot of stuff about international elections early on and continued to have that be a focus of mine. You know, all of us have our sort of niche. And so I, I write a lot about some international elections. But one of the things that, that we've talked about, had talked about and thrown around a lot was the idea of a podcast for Daily Cross Elections. And, you know, the more I thought about it, the more that I thought that was something that I was really interested in, in pursuing. And so I sort of approached you with it. And so there was a lot of, you know, a lot of back and forth to, to get this off the ground. But here we are. Your story for how you got involved with DKE reflects so many others, including mine. You know, I started off as, you know, just a commenter and Marcos liked my stuff and he eventually beamed me up uh, to uh, work for Daily Coast. And kind of uh, the same thing has happened with many of our contributors and including people who are now full-time staff. That's the beauty of the Daily Coast community, that because it makes it so easy to uh, share your ideas and to write for an audience, there's really a, 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 it's had a very democratizing effect and brought in a lot of people to this sort of combo journalism activism world who didn't necessarily have experience particularly with writing online at all. And uh, I've, I've truly loved that journey and it's been incredibly serendipitous for me and, and for a lot of other people. Yeah, and one of the, the great things is that obviously for you and, and for a number of people, it's become become um, a staff a staff role, your, your full-time job. But for me and for a lot of other folks, it's been able to be something we do beyond, you know, we have full-time jobs, but we're able to do this thing that we really love um, outside of that and contribute it in ways that we probably couldn't if the only option was to like, you have to find a job to be able to do this. Like that wouldn't be possible for a lot of the contributing editors. And so it's been a very fortunate thing for, for me as well. So I want to I want to dive a little bit deeply now that it's just the two of us into sort of the the workings of Daily Coast Elections. You know, it started out as very much like sort of a news aggregator, you know, in the early days of collecting stories about Senate House races, governor's races, et cetera. And then more analysis as it grew and as you were able to, to do more work and then really became like we talked a little bit about like a, a data resource to where the, the Washington Post, the New York Times, like cites Daily Coast data to about presidential election results and other things. And so, you know, how does how did Daily Coast elections sort of build that infrastructure and how does how does it sort of do that work that is so rare um, that you see, you know, journalists across the country citing it? So, again, that was really a serendipitous development because the Swing State Project and then Daily Coast Elections was this real haven for uh, election nerds and election junkies of all stripes. It brought in people who were interested not just in qualitative uh, analysis, but quantitative analysis as well. There was uh, a fellow who went by the username of Jeff MD. He was from Maryland. And uh, he was a spreadsheet wizard and a, a genius with calculating election results. And 
the single data set, both that we use the most often and is by far the most cited of anything we do, are presidential election results broken down for all 435 congressional districts. And these are incredibly important pieces of data because how people vote for their member of the House is very, very closely correlated with how they vote at the top of the ticket for a president. And this data has been published by others uh, for years, but following the 2008 election, we wondered if we could do it faster and better. And it turned out the answer was yes. With this volunteer team led by Jeff N.D., we calculated these results for every single congressional district. We also went one step further than prior data sets, which is we took this sort of blogosphere ethos of transparency and made it real. We put all of our spreadsheets online so that anyone could see our numbers, see our raw data. And if we had gotten anything wrong, they could flag it and point it out. And we were extremely open to any corrections. No one really found any, though. Uh, the work was that good. And uh, we've kept doing that uh, ever since. That project is now run by Jeff Singer, a different Jeff, who is a full-time staffer for Daily Coast Elections. And uh, we'll have him on uh, in an upcoming episode. And that data set really just led to other data sets. And I think we had uh, developed a, a keen sense of what was out there and what wasn't out there and also, there is a lot of data that exists out there, just not in a great format. It's not really that accessible, or it's not all consolidated, or it's kind of formatted in a messy way. And we just kind of started to fill these gaps. And people began to realize, wow, their data is trustworthy. Yeah, sure, they may be uh, a bunch of partisans, but they really take this stuff seriously. And like I said, anyone who doubted it could always double check our spreadsheets. And, you know, it's been a long sort of slow growth. But I think that um, we uh, really just did become respected just by putting our heads down and doing the work and not really looking for the accolades. And more and more reporters and academics began to use us and rely on us and cite us. And also a lot of the data sets we were producing were unique. They couldn't be found anywhere else. And that has complemented and in no way replaced the day-to-day -day work we do of just capturing the news about all of the key races in all of the states across the nation. The two really go hand in hand because I don't think you can have a good qualitative understanding of a race without good data, but data alone does ne never tells the full story. Yeah, and you can look to that Ossoff race in 2017 as a really good example of of a match of quantitative and qualitative because the the movement in the presidential numbers that we saw in 2016, because it was the suburban Atlanta seat that really was not Trump-friendly in the way that you know more rural areas were, showed you quantitatively that there was real movement here and a real opportunity in a seat that was historically Republican. But you also saw that, you know, oh, there's a feeling of, of people want to do something, you know, because Trump had just been elected. You know, we felt like, you know, Ossoff was a, was a promising candidate. And, you know, it seemed like a good opportunity, you know, in terms of the, the, the qualitative analysis and the quantitative back that up as a place to, to, to go. So it really is, it's both. It's never like one or the other. You have to have, have, to have both of those to, to succeed. To wrap us up here, I want to talk a little bit about um, the down ballot itself, not to get too, too meta on us, um, but this is obviously a new podcast. It's an outgrowth of um, Daily Coast Elections. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about what we want listeners to be to gain from this, why, why we're doing a podcast. So I'll go first. It was, you know, I'm the one who, who pitched it to you. So I'll do the first run through and then you can 
add on add on where I've missed. But I, I think the goal here is to take um, all of the great work that um, the the Daily Coast and the Daily Coast selection staff do, and the Daily Coast contributing editors do, and and build on that in a way that is is not as use, is not as able to be done in the written word. Obviously, we produce an enormous amount of written content. You do these you know very long pieces every every weekday. The morning digest runs through, and it's it's a lot of content. Those of you who have read it, and again, if you haven't and you're not subscribed, you can go to dailycoast.com/morningdigest. And so we have this enormous written content that we use, but there's so much that you don't get from from the written content in terms of of discussing a race or discussing politics that you can do in a more audio, you know, discussion based format. And we see that a lot. Like we have a there's obviously a Daily Coast Slack, and we have a lot of like really fun, interesting discussions in the elections channel. Um, that's stuff that you wouldn't publish on the site. Like it's not something you would put in the morning digest, but people make really interesting, good points. And, and that's what this sort of sprang out of was the idea is that we could take that, that sort of casual analysis, the sort of, you know, shooting out a theory that seems really interesting and take it to a podcast form and, and share it with readers and, and beyond who, who would really want to hear more from us. And so, you know, that takes... You know, all the value that Daily Coast Selections provides and puts it into this new format in a, in a new, more expressive, expansive way. And then we're also going to have the ability to bring in outside folks, as you'll see as, as we go along, to build on that knowledge where we, you know, find something that's really interesting, but maybe we're not, we don't have that expertise. We can bring in new expertise um, in a way that wouldn't, wouldn't really work in the Morning Digest, but would be a great to do like a, a long form interview with somebody over, you know, how they, they their job in politics or, or a reporter for a state or any number of things where we can really do a deep dive that wouldn't, you know, be as easy to do in the written format. So that's where I really want to see the down ballot go and, and thrive, you know, as we go into 2022 and beyond. Yeah, the deep dive is exactly it. You know, we are covering, like I said, every competitive Senate race, every competitive House race, every competitive race for governor and more attorneys general, secretaries of state, key legislative races, key mayoral races, DAs, sheriffs, and more. And when you're doing that, it's hard to devote more than a paragraph or a few paragraphs to a particular race. So this gives us a chance to really do a deep dive in a conversational way uh, that uh, we simply couldn't do on the site, though I will also add that we will have transcripts for every episode. So those of you who are uh, more interested in the written word, or if you uh, just simply aren't able to listen one week, you'll be able to catch up with us and we'll uh, be posting those on the site as well. Yeah, so hopefully that's that sparked your interest. If you're if you're new to the down ballot, um, welcome as as most of you will be. But if you're somebody who's only found this episode later on, um, hopefully you've learned some more about how we came to be and how Daily Coast came to be. And I hope you'll join us or or continue to join us as we keep doing episodes. We'll have episodes every Thursday that come out wherever you you listen to your podcast will be there and that is all for us this week thanks to marcos Melitzas for joining us the down ballot comes out every thursday everywhere if you haven't already please like and subscribe to the down ballot and leave us a five-star rating and review thanks also to our producer kara zelaya and editor tim einenkel we'll be back next week with a new episode